Good evening, everyone. Good to have you. Good to be here on Wednesday. Last week, we looked at Psalm 35, and we saw what we call the imprecatory psalm. An imprecatory psalm is a psalm that cries out for God's vengeance against our enemies, against those who go against us. And uh, David had enemies who were trying to kill him for real, and he had imprecatory psalms against them, or prayers to God to destroy his enemies. And we wondered if that was legitimate prayer. Well, obviously it's scripture, so it's legitimate, but we have to wrestle to understand it. And here's how we understand it. Jesus, in, in coming to, to earth, he came to be the, the lamb to be sacrificed for our sin. That's one description of him. Uh, Revelation uh, 6 talks about the lamb. Excuse me, Revelation 5 talks about the lamb. And then the next verse in verse 11 talks about the lion. He's both the lamb and the lion. The lamb lays down his life. The lion conquers. And so an uh, imprecatory psalm is a psalm that takes the lamb that is suffering and cries and longs for the lion who will conquer. Get what I'm saying? Takes the lamb that is suffering and cries out for the lion for the day that the lion will conquer. And we pray that as well. We suffer in this world at the hands of evil people. And we, we suffer because of sin, the wickedness of sin in, 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 on this earth. We long for the days when the lion will conquer. And we will be victors. And that's what an imprecatory psalm is. Psalm 36 tonight, though, let's look at. And we see a couple things. We see the description of the wicked in the first four verses. And then verses 5 through 9, we see the description of the steadfast love of God. And then in the last three verses, verses 10 through 12, we see a prayer. So I'm bringing this psalm to talk about the prayer at the end of it. But let's look at what happens before the prayer. Here's one of the reasons why we pray. One of the reasons why you're here tonight and, and, and sometimes beaten down. Um, this is why we are in need of prayer because of the wicked, the, the state of the state of the wicked or the state of wickedness around us or the description of the of wickedness. Look at verses one through four. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. Man, don't you see that? I see that. Transgression speaks. So here is a wicked person who uh, uh, sin is just talking to him. Deep in their heart. Sin is, is shouting at them. Sin is whispering to them. Sin, uh, uh, sinful thoughts are coming from within their own heart. Um, he has no fear of God. In verse 1 as well. No fear of God in him. He flatters himself that his sin will not be exposed. You ever, you've seen people like that who do wrong and, and they, you know, they're not getting caught and they're proud and they are, are, are arrogant about the fact that they have done wrong and haven't, haven't been caught in it as if they will never be caught. That's the, the state of, of wickedness. He speaks deceit and trouble. In verse 3 we see that um, he doesn't cease to do uh, Excuse me, he does cease to act wisely and to do good. He ceases to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble. I like that verse. He plots trouble on his bed. Look at verse 4. He plots trouble while on his bed. In other words, before he even gets out of bed in the morning, 
he is thinking of harm and some sinful thing that he can do. Now, actually, that describes us before we came to Christ and the thoughts that were in our heart that were wrong, the intentions that we had even before we got out of bed were not to obey God, not to, to respond to him, not to walk in submission to him, but to do as we pleased, and uh, that was sin. So we see the, the description there. Um, another part of verse 4, he sets himself in a way that is not good. And then the last part of verse 4, he does not reject evil. If you take each one of those phrases and turn them around to describe how we ought to be, think about that. What is the opposite of this? Um, instead of sin speaking to him deep within his heart, what should be happening in our hearts? The Lord should be speaking to us, and part of what we do on Wednesday night is a time of meditation. We should be meditating deep within our heart on what God would have us to do. Instead of no fear of God, what, what should we have? Fear of God, which means what? What does that mean? Respect, reverence, what does it look like? Obedience, what else? Worship, what else? When you're tempted to do evil, what does it do? Restrain you? Why? Yeah, you, you think about God. You think about his holiness. You think about his righteousness. You think about the shame that comes with sin. Instead of what the sinner does, think about the honor and the, and the advantage that they can get from sinning. It says he ceases to act wisely and do good. The opposite of that would be what? What would we do? We would act wisely, but instead of ceasing, we would start. We would start and we would continue. We would begin and we would continue in doing good. So not just starting and stopping. As he ceased, he, he, he was and then it seemed like he came to a stop. <laughs> we weren't and then we continued on. We never stopped. We never stopped doing good. Plots trouble on his bed. We talked about that. What's the opposite of that? What should we be doing instead of plotting trouble in our bed? Huh? From what time? All right. From the time we get up is, is a time of focusing on the Lord. Instead of starting our day Man, what trouble can I get in? What bad, who, who can I hurt today? <laughs> who do I pray for today? Who, how, how can I be um, a part of God's plan? What would he have me to do? So all that has to do with instead of setting himself in a way that is not good, that's how we would set ourselves in a way that is good. And he says he does not reject evil. And obviously the opposite of that is we should reject evil. We don't laugh at it. We don't joke with it. We don't play with it. We don't think it's funny. Even when we see it in movies. We see it in, in other people's lives. We recognize what's evil. Let's go to verse 5 through 9. Uh, description of the steadfast love of God. It's interesting. He goes from the description of the wicked to describing God's steadfast love. Verse 5 through 9. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens... 
Your faithfulness to the clouds, your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast, you save, O Lord. He finds in God's creation pictures and illustrations of God. And I think we should see that. God created, so his creation should reflect him in some way. Well, in many ways, actually. Um, and that's what he found. So he says that God's steadfast love, he says, it extends to man and beast. He used words like this, extends to the heavens, to the clouds. He's trying to give us a picture that God's love ha is far-reaching. It's far-reaching, and it has embraced us and all of his creation, man and beast. He uses some other words to describe God's steadfast love in verses 7. It's not what I call a masculine word, but it's something we ought to understand as men as well as women. He says, it's how precious is your steadfast love. Men, what does precious mean? Something that you treasure. What else? All right, treasure, hold in high regard. What else? What does precious mean? Irreplaceable, okay, of high value. Irreplaceable. What else? Let me ask it this way. What does it look like? If something is precious, what does it look like? Come on, man, help me out. <laughs> like your wife, what do you mean by that? <laughs> right, what does it look like, though? When you look at this in your eye, describe it. What does it look like? Come on, man. You, you give me feelings, but not vision. <laughs> what is precious? Okay, ladies, help us out. What does precious look like? Beautiful. That's the word I'm looking for. Beautiful. Men, we don't relate to that very much, but we ought to. There's a side of us that ought to say, hey, that's beautiful. Now, we, we like beauty. We just call it different things. We use different phrases. But it's It's beautiful. It is pleasing. It is pleasant. He says, how precious is your steadfast love of God. Now, he uses some, some terms that we men should be able to relate to some of these things. It says um, refuge. It's a place of refuge. What, is, what, what comes to mind when we think about a place of refuge? Just give me some one-word answers. What does refuge mean? Protection. Protection. What else? Safe, yes. Comfort, yes. Huh? Fortress, all right. Strong, right? Guarded, right? That you mentioned protection. Uh, keep you from harm, all right? That's what refuge. He uses a couple of other words. Um, he, he says, uh, verse 8, he uses the word abundance. It's a place of abundance. In other words, God's steadfast love can be described as a place of refuge. God's steadfast love can be 
describe as a place of abundance, all right? Look at some of the words that, that are used to speak of abundance. He says in verse 8, they feast on the abundance of your house. So feast is one, right? When I think about feasting, I don't think about a little snack, right? I think about all-you-can-eat buffet, right? <laughs> you can have anything you want and as much of it as you want. That's what a feast is. If you come to a feast and there ain't no meat, I'm like, that ain't no feast, right? It can't, it's not going to only be meat, but it's going to be what you like and as much of it as you like, and no diets allowed, right? That's when we think about a feast, and that's a picture of abundance. For me and, and, and just my history, I, I think about Thanksgiving dinner. You know, the table is just laid out, and it's full, and it smells good, and you can't wait to dig in. Feast and abundance is a description of God's steadfast love. Another word that he uses to talk about abundance, he says, and give, you give them drink. You give them drink. So not only is there a feast of eating, but there is drinking. In hot weather like, like today or this summer, I like to drink. Sometimes I, I, I drink where I'm, I'm not even hungry anymore because my stomach is full from drinking. I like to drink. That's a picture of abundance. But, but notice what goes with that drink. You give them drink from the river, from the river. Many of you know I now work with, with FedEx delivery, and so we're running place to place, house to house. And uh, one of our drivers stopped in a uh, quick trip store, and he bought, you know, we'll buy a bottle of water. He didn't buy a bottle of water. He bought like a three-gallon jug of water. And his practice is to freeze it at home and then bring it in a truck. We don't have refrigerators, and so he freezes it solid. And throughout, throughout the day, it's melting, but it's still cold. He says, you drink from the river. In other words, there's a whole lot there. You don't have to worry about sharing. You don't have to worry about running out. It's a picture of abundance, drinking from the river. And he also uses two other, three other words to talk about. The river of your delights, okay? I was sick one week and uh, not feeling well, and I couldn't eat anything. And so what I, um, my mother-in-law, she said, you ought to get some V8. So I went in and I got some V8. I drank it. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't hate it. I didn't enjoy it, but I drank it because I needed it to, to fill my stomach and I needed the vitamins that were there. But I have to admit, I didn't thoroughly enjoy it. It wasn't like one of my other drinks that I would have just enjoy. Orange juice is one of them. Diet Mountain Dew is another. <laughs> you guys know that. I can drink and drink and drink and drink that. I think it's still a little bit left in the container, even though I bought it about a month ago in the refrigerator, so I had to throw that out. But here's a picture of abundance. It says delight. It's not an over, just an abundance of what we need. It's an abundance of what we delight, what we enjoy. Another word he uses for abundance here um, in verse 9, for with you is the fountain of life. Fountain. My daughter-in-law and her family just... Last week, went to Niagara Falls. And I think about a fountain like that. The water never stops. It's still going. They were there last week, and it's still going. <laughs> I was there 15 years ago, and it's still going. 
a fountain. It's a picture of abundance. Now, relate those terms of abundance to God's steadfast love. So the picture here in Psalm 36 is this. Sin, bad characters. They mess with us all the time. God's steadfast love. Oh, what a relief. And he ends this with a prayer, verses 10 through 12. And here's what he prays for. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you. He's making a distinction. Not just anybody. Those people who bother us, they don't get this. But continue it to those who know you. Your righteousness to the upright of heart. Again, he's making a distinction. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me. Again, he's praying for protection against those who are wicked and would want to see his harm. Don't let it happen. So there's a prayer. Lord, continue your blessing. You know where I live. You know what, I, what, what problems I have. You know my enemies. Help me. Keep them at bay. Give me your steadfast love. Reason to pray and praying to God for his abundance. Brian, would you come now with our meditation time? Amos is an interesting character. He was a shepherd. Amos kind of shows it to all school, right? You get trained in theological school, you get trained in all the correct learning and scholarship, and then you finally you learn enough and then God calls you and he calls you into his service and you have all this great learning behind you. And then you might have the Amos school where you're just a shepherd. And he called Amos out of being a shepherd. So sometimes you've got the Paul types. Isaiah falls into that line. Moses probably falls into that line with his training as a prince. And then you got Peter. You got John who are just fishermen. You know, some of us, you know, I, I like to think myself like that type, right? Not going to seminary. And then there's others who do go to seminary. But Amos was one who was called in an unusual way. He was a shepherd when he was called. The other thing about Amos is that he was called out of Judah to minister to Israel. So if you got to think about him, he's called in an unusual way. Maybe a way that maybe other people didn't respect, but God respected it. We're going to look into what he says. He has an unusual beginning. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the tops of Carmel withers. Thus says the Lord, For three, three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So I will send fire upon the house of Hazael, and it will devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. And I will break the gate bar of Damascus, and cut off the inhabitants of the valley of Avon, and him who holds a scepter from Beth Eden, and the people of Syria shall go into exile in Kir, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, 
for three transgressions of Gaza and for four. I will not revoke the punishment because they carried into exile a whole people and delivered them up to Edom. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Gaza and it will devour her strongholds. I will cut off the inhabitants from Ashdod and him who holds a scepter from Escalon. And I will turn my head against Ekron and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord God. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have delivered up a whole people to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre and it will devour her strongholds. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because he pursued his brother with a sword and cast off all pity and his anger tore perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. So I will send a fire upon Teman, and I will devour the strongholds of Basra. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. So I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and I will devour her strongholds, with shouting on the day of battle, with a tempest in the day of a whirlwind, and their king shall go into exile, he and his princes together, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. And I will send a fire upon Moab, and it will devour the strongholds of Kiriath. And Moab shall die amid an uproar, amid shouting and the sound of the trumpet. I will cut off the ruler from its midst, and will kill all its princes with him, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes, but their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah and it will devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted, a man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who had been fined. It's a strange beginning. But you kind of get the pattern. For three transgressions and for four, each nation around Israel is judged. And if you were an Israelite, you were saying amen all the way through. Because it wasn't you that was being judged, right? You was thinking when he said Damascus, that they threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. That's talking about how they slaughtered the people of Gilead, who were Israelites, right? And it talks about Gaza, which is the Philistines. Talk about all the evil they did and how they will be judged. You saying, amen, God, they deserve it. Entire with his big tower, how they oppress the people of Israel. Amen, God, they deserve it. Edom, supposed to be your brother, but always was attacking the people of Israel. It's funny when you look at the people of Edom, 
uh, in many ways, the biggest enemies of Israel always seem to come from Edom. From Haman to Herod, all these were Edomites. Look at the Ammonites who ripped open pregnant women. He's saying, amen, Lord, that's evil. Moab, who took somebody and burned his own bones, right? That goes beyond, right? So you already killed somebody, you got to desecrate his body? What does that say? But then all of a sudden, all amens get a little bit quieter when you get down to Judah. And then it goes down to Israel. Now, one thing about the prophet is, when you look at the prophets, they very much uncut, right? Some of the things he said, we won't talk about in detail, but what he said about the man and his father and the same girl, that's the kind of stuff that we hear about in Milwaukee happening, where people do crazy things. That's a symbol of sin that has gone amok among the people. It's not only is it oppression, but it talks about man losing his dignity as the image of God and starting to act like an animal. It should make us meditate on what it means to be born in the image of God. What did God intend man to be? Didn't he want us to be dignified? Didn't he want us to be reflections of his grace and his majesty? Shouldn't man be proud, not in a sinful pride, but as in a proud of saying, you know what? God made me to be in his image. But to the degree that we reject God, we reject our dignity and we become disgraced. So that's how Amos begins. I think he had the crowd roaring at first, but then all of a sudden it was silenced by the end. Because now he's looking at them. And that's how the prophets are. That's why it's so good to look at the minor prophets because they get to the point and they're real and it's, like I said, it's almost raw and uncut. When we look at this scripture, what does it make you think? What does it make you think about? I think of this verse. Peter said this. If the righteous is scarcely saved, what would the end of the ungodly be? We should think of ourselves. I always think of myself, man, I'm barely saved, right? I think of some of the things. I'm saved and I still think sinful things. I still do sinful things, shameful things. I lie in my heart. I do things that I should not do. And I have to ask the Lord for forgiveness. And I'm changed. So then... There's no hope but Jesus Christ for this world, amen? There's no hope for but Jesus. So we'll continue next week. Any comments or questions before we get handed on? All right, let me hand it over to Brother Andrew. Good evening, everybody. Today I'm going to do requests from a treasurer standpoint so right now we're doing pretty good with the giving um, we're a little behind but 
Um, what I want to focus is right now with our current budget, our current budget basically covers what we need to operate. And what I would like to see as a treasurer is I would like our budget to cover not what we need to operate, but to cover what we need to do. What I mean by that is we need to replace the roof. And we went over that. It's going to be like, what is it, $75,000, something like that, to do the roof. Right now we're saving nothing. We would like to buy the building next door, which I think, I have a feeling, and I think Pastor agrees, that the Lord is grooming that building to be ready for us to take it. You know, there's a person in there right now that bought it for a daycare. They ain't daycaring out of there, having parties up in there. So I think it's a matter of time before that place becomes vacant again, which if we were to get that, that would be a lot of expense to fix that up too. And right now with where we're at, like I said, we're covering what we need to operate, but we're not covering what we need to grow and the things that we would need to keep this place at tip-top shape. So what I want to pray about is I want to pray that God blesses this church. And, you know, I, I always hope to see that it's a blessing from the people, but if he's got to do it by giving us more land, selling it again, I'm going to take what he can because he can do anything, you know. Um, and I don't want it to seem like it's a knock on the, the faithful, you guys, because you guys are giving. Um, but I just want to pray that God blesses us, that we can start to do these things. Look at getting that building next door. Look at fixing this roof. You know, I mean, walk around in, like, the fellowship hall and look at the ceiling tiles that are hanging down because they're getting constantly leaked on. You know, stuff we got to get done. So let's just pray on that. I'll have uh, just two people pray, and then I'll close this up. Lord, we just continue in prayer and we just lift up um, some of the projects that we're looking to do that are seem like they're very big and they seem like they're out of our power to do, but we know it's in your power to get them accomplished. We lift up this roof. We lift up the building next door. We ask that you just help us find the means to take care of these items. Um, we know you are a God of anything, a God of power, and you've, you've done miracles for us, blessing us with just gifts of land that we're able to turn around and sell. Um, so we know that you are a God that can do anything, and you've done it before. We just ask that you continue to provide for this ministry, continue to provide for the things that we would like to do and um, that we would like to do to keep um, this building as, in, as top shape that we wanted to, and also that we can expand next door and to continue to expand this uh, ministry and the offerings that we have. Um, we know we ask, it seems like we're asking a lot from you, but we know it's a little thing for you, and we know that you can do this. We just continue to just come to you humbly, and we ask that you continue to stir up your people, continue to stir up the people to give, and that you can continue to bless this ministry. In your name we pray. Amen.